0: So we are in the final week of our base camp series and the idea is that as we journey towards Christ-likeness and holiness, we need a base camp. We need the tools, the knowledge, to be successful on our journey. And so we're looking at the articles of faith of the Church of the Nazarene, the basic doctrines of our church. So there are 16 of these. And today, I'm going to be working on the 7th of the 16. And I'm guessing maybe there's somebody here that's saying, wait a second. You said there's 16 articles of faith and you're giving the 7th, but it's the last week of the series. So what about the other nine? So we are going to eventually get to all of them. We'll come back next year and continue with the series until we work our way through all of 16 Articles of Faith. So just to get you thinking about our topic of the day, which is prevenient Grace, I wanna ask you some questions. The first one is, what help can we offer to someone that is feeling just completely lost, hopeless, powerless to change? It's possible that there could be somebody like that here today or watching online. Certainly there are many, many people in our communities who feel that way. Maybe they've tried over and over again and have failed and have just given up and say, you know, this doesn't work for me. Can we offer any help there? How about this? What happens when a baby or young child passes away? Are we assured that that baby is in heaven? And if so, on what basis do we have that assurance? Or what about if somebody comes up to you and says, how can a loving God send somebody to hell just because they don't know about God or Jesus? What answer could you give them if somebody asks you that question. How about uh, this issue? Have you heard of the doctrine of predestination? Where God chooses who will and who won't be saved and we don't have a choice in that matter? How do you feel about that doctrine? Or one more. In light of what Pastor Alex talked about last week, the whole idea of depravity and the fact that each of us are born with a sinful nature, how can we explain people who don't acknowledge God or Jesus but who are capable of doing morally good things? How does that work? Well, I think as we look at this idea of provenient grace, we're gonna have some good answers to all of those questions. So let's uh, read the article of faith together and then we're gonna break it down. We believe that the grace of God through Jesus Christ is freely bestowed upon all people, enabling all who will to turn from sin to righteousness. Believe on Jesus Christ for pardon and cleansing from sin and follow good works pleasing and acceptable in his sight. We also believe that the human race's creation and godlikeness included the ability to choose between right and wrong, and that thus human beings were made morally responsible. That through the fall of Adam, they became depraved, so that they cannot now turn and prepare themselves by their own natural strength and works to faith and calling upon God. So let's just look at this kind of sentence by sentence and highlight some key words. We believe that the grace, grace, now that is a word that we talk about. I know we uh, have our kids with us today. This is a family worship Sunday. So kids, if you think you know what the word grace means, tell your parents right now what you think that word grace means, okay? And adults, I guess you can do this too. Let's just get you to think about the word grace. Okay? So the classic definition of grace is unmerited favor. Grace is getting not what we deserve, but what we need. Grace is born out of the heart of God who does not want any of us to be estranged but seeks to reconcile us through Jesus. Grace is a gift. It's given for free. It's not something that we can earn. But it is something that we must choose. So um, the next thing I want to point out is that this grace comes through Jesus Christ. Last week, Alex talked about the atonement and that this atoning work comes through Jesus. And I'm so thankful that Jesus was willing to suffer and die so that we could be forgiven, so that we can be reconciled to God. And then the next one says, we believe that the grace of God through Jesus Christ is freely bestowed upon all people all people everyone gets an invitation I asked you earlier about the doctrine of predestination this doctrine that God chooses who will and who won't be saved That doctrine comes from John Calvin, who was a French theologian in the 16th century, and he started with the idea that God is sovereign, that God is in complete control, and that control extends to our choice that God chooses who will and who won't be saved. So as you can see here, we don't believe that Jesus just died for the elect. We believe that Jesus died for all people. So that's where we differ with Calvinism. Okay, let's keep going. The next sentence. We also believe that the human race's creation and godlikeness included the ability to choose between right and wrong, and that thus human beings were made morally responsible. So let's talk about that. Genesis 1.27 says, we are created in the image of God. And like it says, that included the ability to choose between right and wrong. We are free moral agents. So we have been given the responsibility of choice. And again, as you can see, that would differ with Calvinism, which would say we don't have a choice that God chooses we believe we do have a choice. Let's keep going. That through the fall of Adam they became depraved so that they cannot now turn and prepare themselves by their own natural strength and works to faith and calling upon God. That we're depraved. Alex talked about that last week. That we all are born with the sinful nature that we all have this southbound pull to sin so that we cannot, as it says, prepare ourselves to respond to God in and of our natural strength. But the good news is that we don't have to. The provenient grace of God enables us to be able to respond to God's gracious offer. Now, to demonstrate that, I want to do a little... Uh, Object lesson. I need a kid volunteer kid volunteer Hello Kids anybody somebody please volunteer I'm sorry Brindley. I did not see you come on up All right This is Brindley, so it's very simple all you have to do is you have to choose Either what's in this hand or what's in this hand. Now what's in this hand is nothing. What's in this hand is a $10 gift card to the comb. So all you have to do is choose between this hand and this hand. But now before you choose, (laughs) sorry, before you choose, I'm gonna just step back here and I'm gonna tell you that because you're depraved, you can't move toward me. You have to choose from where you're at, okay? So go ahead and choose. No, you just take it. No, you can't move, you have to stay there. But go ahead and choose. You see, this is a problem here, right? So is there a God person among us that can help Brinley? Come here, Pastor Emily, you be the God person. So here comes God and Emily And Emily is gonna enable Brindley to be able to choose. So go ahead and help her to be able to choose. There you go. Now there's your gift card. All right, good job. So kids, does that make sense? That's what provenient grace is. God enables us to be able to choose him when we can't on our own, okay? So the question is, where does that show up in scripture, this idea of provenient grace? Well, I think in the very first chapter of the Bible, we see it, I already referred to it, Genesis 1, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And so like we talked about before, part of what it means to be created in the image of God is to be given a choice. And we see this choice in the very next chapter when God gives instructions to Adam and Eve. Genesis chapter 2, 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. And we know what happened. The serpent tempted Eve. She ate of the fruit. She gave it to Adam And they felt guilt and shame, and they hid from God when he came to be with them. And the next verse that I want to read is really what Provenient Grace is all about. Genesis 3, chapter 9, but the Lord God called to the man, where are you? You see, when God calls out to Adam and Eve, see, I think he knew that something had changed. Each day, Adam and Eve would run out to meet with the one who would walk in the garden in the cool of the day. But now, they were hiding. There was silence except for the rustling of footsteps and the gentle voice of God experiencing his creation. the abundance of trees that God had graciously given them for food and shade and beauty now became veils of fear and shame. God speaks. Where are you? I don't think the tone of God's voice is like that of an angry parent as much as of a disappointed friend. God is saying, what happened? Where have you gone? Why are you missing this opportunity for us to be together? Well, we know the answer to that. They had disobeyed God. They had done the very opposite thing of what God wanted them to do. And in this moment, they could have confessed to the one that created them and loves them, but they chose to hide and to blame. God's decision to stop and call out to Adam and Eve is a constant theme throughout all life. Of Scripture that demonstrates the heart of God's redemptive plan for all creation. God speaks first, God calls out to us in grace, and when He calls out to us, we have an opportunity for either confession or for blame. So at the heart of provenient grace is this God who leads with love, this God who speaks first when we are tongue-tied in shame, the God who calls us out of hiding, not to condemn us, but to redeem us. God calls us and he invites us to confess and repent and ultimately experience redemption. This theme is all throughout Scripture, and it culminates in the coming of Jesus. God moves. God initiates to us in the coming of Jesus. Look at it. John 1, 14. But the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth, Jesus comes and he brings grace before we ever thought about him. And then just two chapters later, we see the most beloved verse in all of scripture, John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life, whoever. Don't you love that word? That includes us, everyone. Jesus did not just come for his chosen people. Jesus did not just come for the elect. Jesus came for everyone. And Paul continues on this theme in Romans, very first chapter. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, and then to the Gentile. And then in the very next chapter, chapter 2, Paul expands the scope of God's reach, and he talks about those that have never heard of God and Jesus and he implies that there is this prevenient grace available to those so that they can respond to God in their own conscience based on what they know, not on what they don't. The same logic can be applied to babies and young children who haven't yet reached the age of accountability or to those with mental disabilities that don't have the capacity to choose between right and wrong. God says to them, I love you. And even though you can't choose me, I chose you. My grace is sufficient for you. Isn't that awesome to think about? The same line of thinking also applies to the issue that I raised earlier about those who don't acknowledge God or Jesus, but still are capable of doing good moral things. Even though those people may not acknowledge God, that doesn't mean that God is not at work. I have a friend that I play golf with. One of the Best guys I've ever met. So kind, so encouraging, so positive. And what makes that really inspiring is that he had a stroke, and so he's very limited physically, and so he, you know, kind of pulls his leg along as he walks. He's amazing. He he does not allow his limitation to keep him from experiencing life. Now, Harry is not a churched person. He never talks about God. But I believe that it is the prevenient grace of God that is enabling Harry to be the person he is, whether he acknowledges God or not. See, the bottom line is this, friends. God is a big God. And God is at work all over the place all the time. Look at what James 1:17 says, "Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows." Do you see that? Every good and perfect gift is from God. Whether someone acknowledges him or not, our challenge is to see it, right? To be aware of all that God is doing and to celebrate that and to lead those we are leading to also celebrate all that God is doing. So how do we respond today? Maybe if you're that person that feels hopeless or maybe you know someone that's just in that place of hopelessness, just in this cycle of trying and failing and trying and failing and finally just giving up, God says to you, I love you, I can change you, I am working, will you trust me to help you do what you cannot do on your own apart from me? That's provenient grace, friends. Maybe you have carried a heavy burden for an unsaved loved one, maybe a spouse or a son or daughter. You've prayed for them for years. You've sought to reach out to them and you're very discouraged because you don't see any fruit. Maybe you've been praying for a neighbor or a coworker or maybe somebody you just met at the grocery store The Holy Spirit is talking to you about helping to lead them to Christ, but when you think about that idea, it feels overwhelming to you. You just think, wow, I don't, how can I do that? If that's you today, friends, God is at work. He is not in neutral. Yes, he doesn't force his way on people. We talked about that earlier. We must choose, but God is at work and so be encouraged, keep praying, keep loving, keep serving those people. Know that God is drawing all men to himself. That is prevenient grace. Maybe at some point in the future, someone who knows you're a Christian will come and say, hey, I know you're a Christian, tell me this. How can God send someone to hell just because they don't know and haven't heard about Jesus. Maybe you can give them a better answer now. That's provenient grace. Maybe at some point in the future, there would be someone that is struggling with the eternal destiny of their baby who is deceased and you can, sensitively say, you know, there's a loving God that's taking good care of your child right now. You want to hear a really good, provenient grace story? Thank you. I wouldn't want to stop, so I'm glad somebody said yes. So just a couple of days after Governor DeWine's first stay-at-home order back in March. Nathan Bridges called the church office and asked for help with rent. That call got transferred to me. I talked with him and explained that basically how that works with us is that we prioritize helping people who are willing to have a long-term relationship with us and that because we had no relationship at that point in time that we weren't going to be able to help him. I said, now, that could change in the future if you are willing to have a relationship with us, but that's kind of where we are at this point. And usually, when I have that phone call, at that point, the other person hangs up because we couldn't help them. But not Nathan. He said, okay, yeah, I'm willing to have a relationship. We don't have a church home. So right now in this moment, I am thinking, stay at home order, pervenient grace. God, are you up to something here? Because normally what I would do is I would invite that person to attend our service and then attend my next step class, but all that was shut down. This was the first week that all of that was shut down. And so the Holy Spirit says, I'm working, don't let this stay-at-home order keep you from showing up. So I said, hey, I could just come to your place. And he said, sure, come on over. And About an hour and a half later, I was there. Yeah, come on over. So we got acquainted. They invited me back the second week. Next week. Somewhere around that time, I asked them permission if I could share with them how to become a Christ follower from Romans 6, 23. They listened carefully, didn't really respond, but they invited me back. Several more weeks passed, and we were at the end of one of those times, and I was getting ready to leave. And Nathan just kind of blurted out as I was getting up, you know, I really get nervous every time you come over. And I'm like, well, why is that? He said, because you remember what you shared a few weeks ago about how to become a Christian? Like, I've been thinking about that a lot. And before you come over, every time I wonder if maybe today is going to be the day that he's going to ask me if I want to be a Christian. Because I do, I wanna become a Christian. And I was like, oh, great. And Sierra said, me too. And so we talked about what that meant, what God provided for them through his grace and what their part was to repent and put their trust in Jesus. And they prayed to receive Jesus, to make Jesus their forgiver and the leader of their life. That was like, I don't know, two and a half months ago. And every every week since then, I've had the opportunity to go and to meet with Nathan and Sierra and to disciple them, to help them come to know Jesus better and just walk with him. Learn to listen and respond to what he's saying to them through the Holy Spirit who lives in them. And guess what? They're here. Nathan and Sierra, would you stand so that we can greet you? Awesome. Thanks guys. Thank you, that's fantastic. I just gotta tell you that the highlight of this whole COVID season for me right there It I mean it doesn't get any better than that friends It doesn't